Hello everyone. We're going to look at John chapter 1 verses 19 through 51. But I guess we'll it's a long passage, but we won't, so we won't read all of it. We'll just kind of uh, highlight some of the verses. John chapter 1, verses 19 through 51. The title of the sermon is The Witnesses of the Christ. The Witnesses of the Christ. And I'm just kind of surveying the sanctuary, and it looks like uh, it's pretty, pretty safe. So... Glad you can be here with us. Um, okay, I'm, actually, I'm just going to pray. I won't read the text initially. We'll pray and then um, and get into it. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time that we can come and worship. We thank you that you are mindful of us. And... Uh, circumstances where we are right now you see us and you know us and you're calling us to yourself so help us to see christ help us to see your glory and uh, as we seek you through your word help us to experience you in a way that our lives would be transformed um, that we might live for you be here with us we ask in jesus name Okay, so last week we read the previous chapter, which is the prologue of the Gospel of John. And uh, in that in that passage, in the earlier passage in chapter 1, verse 10, um, it said the world did not know him. The world did not know Jesus, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We saw that last week. The world didn't know him, but to to those who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. And in today's passage, John now shows us and gives us several accounts of people who did not initially know Jesus, but they came to know him and they received him. And uh, so he tells us how that happened. And uh, each of those accounts of how that happened was through the witness through the witness of others. That's why this t- the title of the sermon is The Witnesses of the Christ. The words testimony or witness is repeated in this passage. And in fact, the entire passage here is a series of people coming to know Jesus through witnesses. We're going to see that. Through the witness of John the Baptist, Andrew goes to Jesus. Through the witness of Andrew, Peter comes to Jesus. And also likely through the witness of Andrew, again, Philip goes to Jesus. And through Philip's witness, Nathaniel comes to Jesus. So witnesses, testimony, through the testimony, through the witnesses, uh, people are coming to know Jesus. And uh, none none of the stories are the same. That's why the passage is long, because everyone has their own unique story. Just like if we surveyed this room of people who have come to know Jesus or who are coming to know Jesus right now, everyone has a different story. And that's the case in this passage. Everyone has a unique experience 
that brings them to Jesus. And John records these things. So the writer of the Gospel, John, records these accounts as witnesses for us because, again, his ultimate purpose is that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. John chapter 20, verse 31. The Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John wants us to know, through the help of these witnesses, who Jesus is. And each of the people who come to know Jesus in this passage, they're declaring something about Jesus. Jesus is the Lamb of God, the Messiah, the Son of God. And those are the conclusions that the writer wants his readers to come to as well. Um, so we're going to do that. We're going to look through this passage and see the witnesses declare who Jesus is. So hopefully we can know more of who Jesus is. And how I'm going to approach this passage because it's so long is I'm going to go through the entire narrative first. So you got to stay with me. Okay. Uh, and then at the end, you know, draw some applications for us. Okay, so that's the plan. I'm going to go through the narrative first. There aren't stories to keep you engaged. So you got to stay with me and then some application at the end. And, and uh, okay, so first, uh, okay, so the witness, so the witnesses of the Christ title and then uh, symmetrically three points, the witness of John the Baptist, the witness of Andrew and Peter, and thirdly, the witness of Philip and Nathaniel. Okay, so first, the witness of John the Baptist. Verse 29 so I'm going to pick up from verse 29, even though I think in, this, in the life group study, you're going to start from verse 19. From 29, the next day he saw Jesus, that's John the Baptist, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was, he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, right? There's that word. He bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Okay, so John the Baptist's encounter with Jesus, how he came to know Jesus was pretty unique. You can tell from what we just read. The narrative, this narrative that we just read, took place after the baptism of Jesus, which is not recorded in the Gospel of John, which is recorded in the other Gospels, and we see what happens in, through the other Gospels. But it was through that baptism moment when John the Baptist knew that Jesus was the chosen one sent by God. And John the Baptist says, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove. And he says it remained on him. He goes on to say, God who sent me to baptize and prepare the way, God who sent me said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And John's conclusion, because of this experience, he declares, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of 
world. So this was John's testimony. He says, I didn't know him, but this happened, and now I know who he is. I know that he is the Lamb of God. Now, John the Baptist, if you read this account, right, he's kind of like a, a, a charismatic theologian, right? Uh, he had this supernatural spiritual experience with God that completely changed how he saw Jesus. But he's not just charismatic. He's also kind of like a theologian because he also has deep um, Christology, right? Understanding of Christ. Even though we probably know more about Jesus right now, right? At where we are in redemptive history, we probably know more about Jesus right now than what John the Baptist knew at this point when he declares uh, the Lamb of God, uh, the Spirit of God rests on him. Right? But still, he declares his understanding of who Christ is, that Jesus is the Lamb of God. What that means is that Jesus is the Lamb, the Lamb of God that Abraham was pointing to in Genesis 22 when he said to Isaac, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. This also means that Jesus is the lamb of God that the Passover meal was pointing to in Exodus, 20, Exodus 12, when the Israelites took the blood of the lamb, put it on the doorposts to be spared from the angel of death. This is the lamb of God, the atoning sacrifice that the entire Old Testament sacrificial system was pointing to the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So that was the witness, the witness of John the Baptist. Secondly, the witness of Andrew and Peter. Verse 35, the next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus and he walked by and said, Behold, as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned, saw them following, and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came, saw where he was staying. They stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak, the, speak and follow Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Um, okay, now this account, if we read it just kind of like on the surface level, if we take it literally, like, just kind of take it on the surface level, then this account doesn't really make sense. Because if we just read it literally surface levelly, if we read it like that, then this is kind of how it goes. Two of John the Baptist's disciples hear G John the Baptist say and give witness about Jesus, right? Uh, this is the Lamb of God, right? So they go to Jesus, Jesus asks them, what are you seeking? NIV translates that, what do you want? What are you seeking? What do you want? They answer Jesus, where are you staying? Jesus responds to that 
come and you will see. As if, oh, come, check out where I'm staying, right? So they stay with Jesus, kind of hang out with Jesus for the day. Andrew, who was one of the two, then goes to his brother Peter and says, we have found the Messiah. <laughs> okay, so now, if you just read it surface, like, oh, they just hung out with Jesus and then like they saw where he stayed and then they come to this conclusion, we have found the Messiah. That doesn't really make sense, right? So obviously, there's more than meets the eye. This account only makes sense if there's more beneath the surface beyond what was said. So when Jesus asks, what are you seeking? What do you want? He's not just saying like, oh, how can I help you? Who are you? How can I help you? As if like, how can I help you? Or oh, do you need directions or something like that? That's not what he's saying. When he says, what do you want? What he really means is, what do you really want? What do you want in your life? And when Jesus says, come and you will see. He doesn't mean come and see where I'm staying. Come and you will see really means come and discover for yourself who I really am. What do you really want? Why are you coming to me? What do you truly want in your heart? Come and see for yourself who I am. And that's exactly what happens. Andrew discovers that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One. Messiah is the, the, the transliteration of the Hebrew. And in Greek, it's Christ. And the meaning of that is the Anointed One. It's the same thing. Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Anointed One. The meaning of the Anointed One, it means the same thing. And again, just like we talked about John the Baptist, we probably know more right now than Andrew did when he said, we have found the Messiah, he's the Christ. But Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one. He's the one that the kings of Israel were pointing to when they in the Old Testament were called the, the Lord's anointed. As Jesus is the true king of God's people. He's the one that the anointed priests pointed to as Jesus is the high priest who would mediate between God and sinners. And he's also the one that the anointed prophets pointed to. Jesus came to preach the kingdom of God. Jesus, the anointed prophet, priest, and king, the Messiah, the anointed one. Come, we have found the Messiah. Thirdly, the witness of Philip and Nathanael. Um, the next day, verse 43, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, if you have your Bible with you, uh, I want to ask you to look at this verse. It'll be a lot easier for you at Life Group this week if you understand, um, uh, if you follow along right now, right? Verse 43 in ESV is translated with Jesus being the subject, right? The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip, said to him, follow me. But in Greek, the subject of this sentence is ambiguous. So this can also be translated, the next day, he decided to go to Galilee and found Philip. And Jesus said to him, follow me. In that case, 
if the subject is not Jesus, that in that case, Andrew is probably the subject. So the next day, Andrew decided to go to Galilee and found Philip. And Jesus said to him, follow me. And that probably is likely uh, because everyone in this passage is brought to Jesus by the witness of another. And that's kind of like this running theme. Someone witnesses and then brings him to Jesus. So that's probably likely that it was also Andrew, again, that went and brought Philip to Jesus. And, and that translation of Andrew being the subject would also explain why verse 41 says, he, Andrew, first found his own brother Simon, meaning the second one was probably Philip. Okay, so anyway, in any case, Philip begins to follow Jesus. Verse 45, Philip found Nathanael. Okay, so now the kind of like the, that chain, the witness chain continues. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him whom Moses in the law and, and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael was surprised because he was, he's sure that no one else was there when he was under the fig tree. So he asked Jesus, how do you know me? How do you know me? See, back in verse 26, John the Baptist said, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. And then John the Baptist himself said in verse 31, I myself did not know him. So again, like this repeated, you don't know this, this person that's going to eventually come and baptize with the Holy Spirit. I myself did not know him. So the gospel writer here, John, makes it clear that people did not know who Jesus was. And that's the case here, right? Nathaniel did not know Jesus, but he was known by Jesus. Even as he was sitting there alone in some random place under the fig tree, he was not alone. Jesus saw him and knew him. Jesus is the one who truly knows us He's the one that truly knows us better than we know ourselves. What do you want? What do you truly want in your life? Jesus knows better than we do. Verse 49, Nathaniel said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. So at the very least, Nathaniel means what he means by this is you are the one sent from heaven by God. You are the son of God. Again, this is this John chapter 1. A lot of these people who first encountered Jesus, obviously they don't have the benefit of hindsight of the death and resurrection, all those, all those things. What does he truly mean when he says you are the son of God? At the very least, he means you are the one sent from heaven by God. But again, because we now know more we know that Jesus is the Son of God. The Son 
who is in very likeness himself God, who we can know and have salvation in only because he first knew us. Jesus, the Son of God. Okay, um, three applications in light of this passage, in light of these witnesses of the Christ. First application for, for us, as John is writing this so that through these witnesses, we can see who Jesus is. First application, come and see. Come and see. Um, each of these witnesses declare uh, who Jesus is, right? Um, something about Jesus, the name of Jesus, the, the, the identity of Jesus. Each of these witnesses declare something about Jesus. At first, they didn't know who Jesus was, but that they, they came to see who Jesus is, and then they declare, He is the Lamb of God. We have found the Messiah. You are the, the Son of God, King of Israel. And because they saw Jesus, now they're able to have life in His name, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, Son of God. By believing, you have life in His name. So we, application, we have to see who Jesus is. The reason why I put this as an application is because many times, often, too often, we read passages like this and we miss Jesus. We completely miss Jesus because we're too focused on ourselves. We read this exact passage in our quiet time and our main takeaway is, oh, John the Baptist, he has such a humble attitude, right? He said, the straps of whose sandal I'm not worthy to, to untie. Like what a humble attitude. He came not to be the, the main character, right? but he came to, to pave the way for Jesus. So I need to be humble like John the Baptist and pave the way for Jesus. Now that kind of sounds like we're focusing on Jesus or I'm going to pave the way for Jesus because he has to be the highlight. It kind of sounds like we're focusing on Jesus, but we're really not. And that's what we have to realize. The Bible is not about John the Baptist. It's about Jesus, the Lamb of God, the Messiah, the Son of God. The Gospel writer wants to show us who Jesus is. So instead of coming to the Gospel and focusing on yourself, oh, why am I not coming to Jesus? Why can't I see Jesus? Why can't I be humble like John the Baptist? Instead of coming and focusing on yourself, just like Jesus says, come and see. Come and see Jesus. Don't skip over Jesus to focus on how you can be more like Jesus. Rather, pause and linger over Jesus. Come and see who Jesus is. Second application, what do you want? What do you want? Again, like we said, Jesus said to the two disciples, what are you seeking? NIV says, what do you want? I think that's a good application for us as we come to Jesus, right? Like, okay, so we want to come to Jesus and focus on Jesus, see Jesus. But even as we do that, what are you seeking? What do you want? Even as you come to church, what do you want? 
even as you identify yourself as a Christian or a seeker or someone who identifies with Christ, what do you want? What do you truly want in your life? Because as we come to Jesus, we won't really see Jesus if what we really want isn't Jesus. That makes sense, right? Again, in verse 12, John said, But to all who did receive him, he, you know, all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So, so what that means is, like, if we really want to receive, like, if we, if we come to Jesus with an, with an attitude of, we really want to believe in, we really want to seek who he is, and want to really receive him, then he, it says he gave the right to become the children of God, then God, like, honors that sincere heart and, and meets us. If we're really truly putting down, like we talked about last week, everything else in our hands and and emptying our hands to receive Jesus, if that's truly what we want, he gave the right to become children of God. But if we don't really want to receive him, then we won't see Jesus. So we should ask ourselves, what do I really want? What do you really want in your life? We talked about the parable of the four soils a few weeks ago. And uh, in the parable, like it says, some hearts are filled with thorns. And it says the thorns, in that parable, Jesus says the thorns grew up. The thorns eventually grew up and choked the word. So that means at least for some time, the thorns were not visible. They were there but they were not visible. But eventually, over some period of time, the thorns grew up and choked the word. Right? The concern, the thorns are the, the concerns of this world, the love for other things in this world. What do you truly want? The love for other things in this world grew up and choked the word. And that's what I've I've clearly seen over the years. I've come to realize that there are many who come to Jesus, right, but really want something else. So that's a good question as we're journeying through the Gospel of John, through this series, and as you study it on your own. What are you seeking? What do you really want? Because again, it doesn't, We're not going to be able to see Jesus and receive Jesus if my heart is full of thorns that want other things. But if we are sincere in wanting to see Jesus, he will show us and work in us. We didn't really highlight this, but in verse 42, he brought, Andrew brought um, Peter to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Then when Jesus says, you shall be called Peter, this isn't like a prediction, right? Like, uh, oh, you're going to go home and your mom's going to start calling you Peter, right? It's not a prediction. It's a declaration of what Jesus will make him. Jesus is saying, this is 
who you will become. This is who I will make you. Peter, which means rock. So, so Peter will play a significant role in God's plan in establishing the church. And, and Jesus says, that's what I'm going to make you. In other words, when we come to Jesus, wanting to see Jesus, he takes it upon himself to make us who he intends for us to be. So my job is to get rid of the thorns, to get rid of the other concerns of for this world in my heart. I come with a sincere heart wanting to see Jesus. And uh, Jesus works. He works to, to make us who he intends for us to be. Third application, lastly, come and see Jesus. What do you want? Thirdly, you will see his glory. You will see his glory. Jesus says to Nathanael, the very end of this passage in verse 50, Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, this is a reference to Genesis 28, where Jacob has a vision. And he sees, uh, you, know, you know the phrase, Jacob's ladder. He sees the vision of a ladder that a staircase or something like that, that, that connects earth to heaven. And he sees angels of God ascending and descending on it. And Jesus is hinting through this at what he will do through his death and resurrection to give sinners on earth access to heaven because of his atoning work on the cross sinners will be able to ascend to heaven through Jesus Christ and Jesus makes a promise to Nathaniel through this he says you will see greater things than these meaning you will see things far greater than what Jacob saw you will see the culmination of of redemptive history unfold your very before your very eyes. Um, last week we saw the gospel writer John tell us we have seen his glory full of grace and truth. Now, that's not because John the disciple had just like, he just had like this unusually exceptional view of Jesus, right? And so he's saying, like, we have seen his glory. It's not like if we ask 10 people, hey, what do you think of, and then I name your name. Hey, what do you think of so-and-so? And then, like, five people might say, like, really good things about you. Five people are like, eh, eh. Oh, I was his roommate last year. Eh. It's not like that here. Jesus, like, John, seen his glory. Everyone in this passage we're all witnesses of Jesus, and they would all say, we have seen his glory. And that is what Jesus is promising Nathaniel here. He's saying, stick with me, and you will see my glory. You will see things far greater than what Jacob saw. You're going to see the culmination of redemptive history unfold. You will see what God will do through me. You know, if you think about it, all of us, 
We are in constant pursuit of glory. We might not kind of we might not think of it like that, but that's really what it is. We're in constant pursuit. Our hearts are hungry for glory. This week, I watched two Cubs playoff games, in which it's a two out of three series, in which they scored one run in the first game and zero runs in the second game for a total of one run in two games, and they were eliminated in two quick games. But, um, you know, I, I knew they weren't like the best team this year in the playoffs, but I still tuned in and watched the games because I remember how I felt in 2016 when they won it all. It was so glorious. And to be honest, I wanted that again. I wanted to experience that glory again. What? What is it? In pursuit of glory. For some of us, um, if you're honest, being with your whoever, significant person or whatever, is probably more glorious to you than being with Jesus. Maybe for some of us, achieving that next milestone in your life would be the most glorious thing you can think of. That's all you're thinking about these things. To attain that, whatever that is. And this is why we get so crazy about some things in our lives. Something that we really want because our hearts are in constant pursuit of glory. But to that, Jesus, who knows us better than we know ourselves, says, come to me and I promise you, you will see a greater glory. And this is what I want to leave you with and this is what I, I want to ask. Can you really trust the words of Jesus on that? What do you want? What do you really want? What do you truly want in your life right now? And here we are, going this direction, that direction, trying to do all kinds of things to experience the utmost glory in this world. And to that pursuit, Jesus says, come and see. I promise you will experience and see a glory that you cannot see in this world. My question to you is this, can you trust the words of Jesus on that. Can you allow those words to settle your heart down before the words of Scripture? That you can come sincerely before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm here. Show me your glory. Can you set aside the pursuits of this world? Can you pull out one or two thorns this week Lord, show me your glory. Let's pray together. The witnesses of Christ declare who Jesus is. Behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. We have found him. He's the one. He's the Messiah. The Christ. We have found the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. The witnesses declare who Jesus is. May we come, come and see who Jesus is. The one who truly knows 
what we want better than we know ourselves. And we come trusting in his promise that when we come to him with sincere heart, he will reveal his glory to us. And just like the, the gospel writer experienced, just as some of these other disciples experienced, just as John the Baptist experienced, seeing his glory will leave you ch changed and transformed you can never be the same again. That the pursuits of this world will not matter anymore. Seeing his glory will cause us to surrender our lives, to live for that glory and for his name alone. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that, that meets us where we are and ministers to our hearts. I pray that you help us to see Christ the beauty of Christ as we journey through the gospel of John and we trust in you your promise that your spirit will work through that knowledge of Christ to make us who you promised for your people to be thank you Lord in Jesus name we pray Amen let's pray Lord, we thank you that you are um, mindful of us uh, against sinners who rebelled against God and wanted nothing to do with God. Uh, Jesus came into this world, uh, the, ex the, f the total expression of God, uh, took on flesh. The word of God became man, he dwelt among us became one of us, identified with us, took our place on the cross, all so that we can have life in his name. Thank you for that amazing gospel truth. And uh, Lord, we repent uh, for the distractions, the, um, the, the constant pursuit of worldly ambitions and thorns that we keep purposely hidden in our hearts. Lord, we pray that you would help us to see the glory of Christ more and more and inevitably the effect of that will be a, a life transformation that um, resembles your intention for us. We trust in you even one day at a time, one week at a time. Help us to see you, know you, love you more. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Strengthen your people. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is incredible unchanging covenant love of the Father God, and the fellowship and the strength, power of the Holy Spirit be with you, both now and forever. Amen.